but the funny thing is, is that running ultras is not intuitive. <laughs> so that's why, <laughs> yeah, right. right? So it's this, funny, it's this funny mixture of like, okay, if we're going to go for a 12 hour run, like there, there does need to be some structure and planning here. And, yeah. and we do have to, this is an area of our life that we do have to plan for and train our stomach and our body to know how to eat while we're running. And then on the off days is when we can say, okay, this is where my, I'm going to let my hunger cues really dictate how, how much I need to fuel my body for. So it's this funny balance of, yeah, intuitive eating day to day, and then having more of a plan when you're running. Running 100 miles seems impossible, and maybe even kind of crazy. And it is, but we believe in big crazy dreams. That's why we ran 100 miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us, we decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race. Are you ready to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your trail to 100? Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100. I'm Jacob Bateman, and joined along with me today is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. And today, we are so excited to bring this episode to you. We have a registered dietitian nutritionist. It's Julie Schaub. She's been in nutrition for the past 12 years, and she specializes in helping ultra runners fuel right during race day, before race day, recovery days, all of the above. And we get into all of that with her in today's episode. She shares a wealth of knowledge about how to feel right during the race. She talks about what causes nausea, what causes the stomach cramps, you know, what causes the upset stomach, and then how to combat that. And so it is, we came across very enlightened from it. Um, I know I have a few things that I'm going to change and that I'm excited to start implementing um, as it was brought to my attention of how I was feeling wrong for my ultras. So we hope you guys enjoy it. She talks a lot about specifics in this. And so we so if you do have any questions about specifics, make sure you check the show notes, guys, because we have written them all down. So you can scroll through that. And if you want to go back and see, oh, what was the number she gave for sodium? What was the number she gave for caffeine and all that? What was that formula? Please go check out the show notes. We know you'll enjoy it, so we'll get right to it. So, Julie, thank you for coming on the podcast today. We are so excited to have a nutritionist who works with ultra runners specifically, and we just can't be more happy and excited to talk to you about your wealth of knowledge that you have. Thanks, Jacob, and thank you so much for having me on here, Jacob and Melody. I hope you're ready to answer a lot of questions because we have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it so, on. So Here just first thing is I see a lot of like nutritionists out there, but, and they're like, we work with athletes, but it's a very like broad, you know, range. Like, yeah, I'll help you do an Ironman. I'll help you run a marathon. I'll We're help like, you do but a do Spartan. You work with ultra runners. Yeah. I, I feel like it's so different. So what inspired you or motivated you to say, I want to specialize in working with ultra runners? Yeah, that is a great question. I appreciate you asking that. So I call myself a registered dietitian nutritionist. It's the certified term for dietitians. So I can be referred to as a dietitian or a nutritionist. And I worked in clinical for over 10 years. And I've been a long distance runner for probably 20 years of my life now. And so it's always been a part of my life. And my husband and I got into long distance running, particularly ultras and marathons, like about 10 years ago. And through the course of my professional career, I decided to quit my clinical job and start my own private practice just for more freedom and independence and, you know, fun things like that. 
And the reason why I decided to do ultra running was because one, myself and my husband are big into ultra running and I see the need for it. Like there are so many people that go out and love ultra running. And then during, particularly on race day, right? Like it tends to happen on race day, stomach issues happen. There's lack of appetite. People are like puking or pooping on the side of the trail. Like, and sometimes it's nutrition related and sometimes it's not, (laughs) but particularly what happened, and this is actually pretty recent because my business is um, only about six months old, but what happened most recently to kind of launch me into, you know, starting this private practice was we were at, it's called The Rut. It's in Big Sky, Montana. And I had 11 friends running. It's a series of, of runs throughout the course of Labor Day. And six out of the 11 friends that I had running either were slowed down or DNF'd. So like four of them DNF'd, two of them finished, but a lot slower than they would have because they ran into nutrition problems on their run and just miserable and really like disappointed and frustrated and like, you know, like what the heck I'm like a well-trained mountain athlete. And I ended up not finishing this race and most of them identified that it was nutrition related. And so that was kind of like the big push for me was like, I would really like, like I do this. I have the knowledge. I've been helping my friends and my husband do this for 10 years, fuel well and finish and push their limits. And I see this as a great opportunity to help help ultra runners do what they love, right? Like we like going out on big days in mountains and, and running a long time. And it's not fun when you, when you don't feel good. Amen. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> because we do need more nutritionists who are, you know, specifically for ultra runners. So I think that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. I like, I like how you get into, you know, talking about how the DNFs were mainly caused by nutrition because so like our first hundred miler that we did, we nearly called it quits at one point due to nutrition. You know, it's it, we weren't ready. It, Do you know what we did? Sugar. We went, we went to Costco and we bought M&Ms and Swedish fish and Oreos, like all the food we thought we would want. And after like 15 miles, we had sugar bombed and we were <laughs> sick the rest of the run. <laughs> oh yeah. Those foods are awesome, but you definitely don't want to rely solely on them. The whole time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We learned that the hard way. <laughs> so what my question is, cause as I've ran other ultras, even just like, you know, 50 K's and 50 milers, I find that like the first real, like sign of like doubt in a race that comes to me is when nausea happens. I start to feel like some sort of nausea or unsettling in the stomach. So what, what causes that nausea or the stomach to when you're running to become so unsettled? Great question. And this is something that's super common with ultra runners, right? Like nausea or stomach bloat, stomach cramping. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people vomit or puke or whatever, you know, like that sets in. And after a few hours of running, there's a couple reasons why it it can happen. A big reason is because when we are moving for a long period of time, our blood flow is shunted to the working muscles. So it goes away from our digestive system, right? And so the term I like to use is that our stomach actually kind of falls asleep. And so when we decide to start fueling it, it's just not ready to digest food, which can cause those symptoms that we just talked about, lack of appetite, nausea, bloat, cramps, diarrhea. And so it is, it's a system that we can train to work if while we're running, but it takes time and effort And we need to start fueling on training runs in order for that, our digestive system to know, hey, don't fall asleep right now. (laughs) Even though I'm running, I still need you to work. And in order for it to know to not fall asleep, training needs to happen. So that's a big reason why it happens. There's a couple other reasons too that I'll go over. 
under fueling. So just not fueling en with enough food, which is really common, right? Because oftentimes we have lack of appetite and we just, nothing sounds good. We feel like we have to force food down. That can cause us to feel nauseous if we don't eat enough. And once again, it takes practice to, to get those foods in. Salt is another component that's pretty important as well. So if we get low on our salt consumption, it can be called hyponatremia, which can cause us to feel nauseous. It can cause us to feel lightheaded. If it gets really serious, then it can, it can cause death in really serious situations as well. And there's two others, or actually three, three others that I'll mention that can cause nausea. A big reason, a big missing piece to nutrition for ultra runners is protein. So most ultra running or races are going to take you six hours or longer, right? Most that's kind of like the time frame that we consider most ultras are going to going to be. And that's a lot of pounding on our muscles and actually consuming protein while we're running can actually help actively rebuild our muscles. And I'm, I've lost the word that I want here, but uh, protein can actually you know, actively rebuild our muscles while we're running. And it can also, it helps level out all of those carbs that we need to be consuming on an hourly basis too. Like Melody mentioned, you guys did M&Ms and Oreos and all of these like fun foods, which are like, I'm pro those foods in ultra running because they are a great <laughs> source of energy, but we can't just eat those foods. We need some protein to help level out so our stomach doesn't get so sugar bombed, like you mentioned. Protein also, if we're just sitting around for six hours during the day or 12 hours during the day or 24 hours during the day, your body still needs protein anyway, even if you're just sitting. And when you're running, then you definitely need protein as well. So protein is another part um, of ultra running that I think is overlooked pretty often in consume, like getting prioritizing when you're running. Dehydration can cause us to feel nauseous. So if we're not consuming enough fluid, that can cause all of these GI issues as well, particularly stomach bloat. So if you feel bloated, then I would encourage people to assess how much fluid they're drinking. And also just like back to the, your stomach falling asleep. If you wait too long to start eating, that can cause this as well. So if you wait like an hour or two to start fueling into your ultra, then your stomach will likely not be ready to, to consume and, and digest food for you while you're running. My thoughts are, that's not fair. That's too many things to figure out. To avoid being <laughs> nauseous. <laughs> I know, right? It can seem really overwhelming and for confusing. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot of moving puzzle pieces to put together for sure. For sure. So, so you, you mentioned a lot that it's, it's just about practice and training your body to eat on your training runs. So can you talk about how, how you practice on training runs? Do you just experiment with different food, experiment with different times? Like how, how would you lay that out for an athlete who is trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work for them? Absolutely. And this is what I do with my clients. So we work together. I always encourage people go out for a long run, try and make it at least 10 miles or longer and, a, and get a baseline for how much you're consuming on average for a run like that. So we can figure out how much you're taking in. And most of the time people are consuming, oh, like 10 or 20 grams of carbohydrate an hour. And where we actually want to work towards and what research recommends is consuming 60 grams of carb every hour. So most people come in with a baseline super low. And that's what that's to make it more simple for people. That's what we focus on first. And then we focus on making sure that we add in sodium and that we add in protein. But first we want to get that person's stomach and system used to consuming more carbohydrates. So how we do this or how I recommend to do this with my clients is, okay, so if your baseline is 20 grams of carb an hour on a long run, the next long run I want you to go do, I want you to try and get 30 grams or 25 grams, like 
between 25 and 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So you're going to increase that just a little bit. And then I want you to do that for three or four long runs until you feel comfortable with that higher threshold of food in your stomach. And then we slowly, gradually taper up to where you they're, the client or the runner is feeling really comfortable when they're consuming that 60 grams. And when we get to those higher numbers, that's when we say, okay, these are, this is more carbohydrates. So we want to start identifying some protein foods that we can consume with those carbs to help level out our stomach and make it happy. And then also we start identifying areas of liquid pro of liquid calories that we can add in as well to make consuming all of that easier. And then also the other piece of sodium. So are you consuming an electrolyte beverage in addition to your water, or are you going to do water and like a salt tab? So we kind of layer it up and just slowly progress upward, upwards to meeting those recommendations. And people can tell a difference. Like they feel better on their runs. They have more energy. They recover better. They don't get as sleepy afterwards. Like it's, it's really, really cool to see how fueling long runs can just like make you feel exponentially better than when you don't fuel as well. Wow. This sounds really nice. We actually just finished our long run for the week and we're both like, Oh, like so tired. (laughs) It's nap time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds great to just have energy after run. So my next question is protein. I feel like it, we all know how to get carbs, right? Like, like we mentioned some of the carbs and something that we do now, we try to avoid the processed sugars on our runs and we really like fruit. So we do like, we do spring energy gels. We do like fruit bars. We bring whole fruits with us. And, and that's, that's been really nice. But again, that's just a lot of carbs and sugar. I'm trying to think like, what kind of protein, how do you get protein in? Cause I've, I've done like quesadillas in the past with, cheese, you know, there's protein there, but if I eat too many quesadillas then that, that hurts my stomach. So I'm trying to think how, how can you get protein in when you're running? Yeah. Great question, Melody. And you also bring up a great question that variety is really important too, right? Like we can't just, if you're like, Oh, I can do quesadillas. You don't want to do quesadillas (laughs) like the whole race. (laughs) That's not going to be a great decision. (laughs) So yes. So protein ideas, you can do a protein powder. So in like a soft flask, I always recommend that people carry at least a bladder of water and then at least one or two soft flasks with them with either an electrolyte beverage or a beverage that has some protein in it. So like a protein powder is great. So people get thrown off, but I recommend that you actually find a recovery drink that you like the taste of and that sits well for you. So like Tailwind has a, a recovery drink, Spring Energy I believe has a recovery drink. I might be thinking of something else. Huma has a recovery drink. Hammer Perpetuum isn't a recovery drink, but it's my personal favorite liquid form of calories to get. And it has carb, protein, and a little bit of fat in there. So you can find some kind of beverage that has protein in it. You can always go for like a protein bar. You want to be careful with protein bars. You want to avoid ones that have really high fat fat content in them, which is hard right now because keto is so popular. So we find these protein bars that are really high in fat, really high in, uh, fairly high in protein and low in carbohydrate. But when they do low carbs, then they're oftentimes using sugar alcohols, which you have a double whammy there. High fat oftentimes can cause GI upset when we're running as well. That's another thing that can contribute to that. And then sugar alcohols like xylitol is probably the most common known sugar alcohol out there can cause GI upset as well. So can cause like diarrhea. And so we want to avoid things like that, but protein bars, um, (laughs) protein bars can be great. Like I really like, I'm actually eating one right now, a Luna bar. I like those. Those have eight grams of protein in them. Cliff bars are good options. There's some that are higher in protein. So you can find um, things like that. You can, and then like you mentioned, Melody, like quesadillas or pizza or a cheese stick or nuts or trail mix. Those, those foods are, are great for protein. They are a little bit higher in, in fat. So you probably don't want to consume them in large amounts, but you're not consuming. I don't recommend consuming anything in large amounts, right? Like we want to piece it together over time, but those are a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
those are all ideas for protein. Okay. And so if you do those things, so maybe a variety of quesadilla, pizza, PB&J, is that going to be enough protein? Yeah. So I do recommend an average of five to 10 grams of protein an hour. Mm. That's what I recommend. And so it does take a little bit of research to look into that, but like a, a Luna bar is eight grams of protein. So if I'm running with a Luna bar, I might stretch that out over the course of two hours mm-hmm. and then try and get a little bit more protein from another source. Like oftentimes you mentioned spring energy, a decent amount of spring energy. I think awesome sauce has two grams of protein in it. So like if I had a Luna bar and an awesome sauce, that would get me 10 grams of protein. So that would cover me for two hours on my protein end. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I we've never thought about protein when we're running. Yeah. It's always carbs and sugar. So that's really fascinating to me. My next question is the the whole keto thing, the whole fat burning thing. So that's that's really popular right now and it's something a lot of especially ultra runners are doing. We're curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this up. (laughs) Um, It's not something I recommend. And I, yeah, as a dietitian or as a registered dietitian nutritionist, we're all about avoiding fads and doing what's sustainable for people. And so keto is a fad diet. It is a diet that tells you to um, limit one of the major macronutrients, right? So like we have carbs, protein, and fat. Those are our macronutrients. And it's promoting high fat, low carbohydrate, which is completely opposite from the recommendations that we have hundreds of research articles supporting that for long distance endurance athletes, a high carbohydrate diet is really what's best. So it's pretty opposite from what is recommended. That being said, there are so many different approaches to nutrition, right? And and that is 100% okay. So yeah, I always like to put that caveat in there. Like you're going to find people that are like so incredibly passionate about the way that they choose to eat. And they're like, this is the right way. Every way is wrong way, which I also disagree with that approach. Like there Mm -hmm. is room for a lot of gray in nutrition. So yes, anyway, high, high fat, low carb is, is not something I recommend for a couple of reasons your, your risk for nutrient deficiencies goes up pretty significantly when you're limiting some of the major macronutrients. And then also with that, your risk, if we're not getting enough nutrition from all three of those areas, right? Carbs, protein, and fat, then our risk for injury also goes up with muscles and because they're not repairing as well and and whatnot. So Uh, and your energy might be feeling a little off as well. And the other huge thing is how sustainable is that for you? Like, do you foresee yourself eating high fat, low carb in 15, 20 years? Like really we want to, right. We all, we always talk about eating in a sustainable, maintainable way. And can you envision yourself at a party eating keto? Can you envision going out with friends at a restaurant eating keto? So that's another thing I always encourage people to assess when they're thinking about doing some kind of extreme diet like that. But you're right. It is a, it's a popular fad. There are professional athletes out there that uh, do that. And the other thing that is not really spoken about is if they're consuming high fat, low carb on a regular basis, when they're, when they're racing and when they're doing long runs, they are consuming a decent amount of carbohydrate because your body still needs carbohydrate to even burn that fat while you're working. So there's, there's still definitely a need for carbohydrates. It's just not spoken about as much. Hey, beginner trail and ultra runners. If you're interested in private coaching or a customized workout plan, head over to Instagram at pine tree running, where I'll help you find your strength. That makes sense. So what are your thoughts on, so we're thinking about, I know I'm saying weird because I'm reading your mind, but we're thinking about 
Mike McKnight, also known as the low carb runner. We had him on our podcast a few weeks ago oh. and he, we always thought that he took this keto approach because he's all about like meat and veggies, low carb gluten is the devil. And he said, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I don't eat keto. He said, that's why I'm the low carb runner, not the keto runner. Cause he said carbs are important, but he still airs on the side of a lot, a lot lower, like a lot of fat and lower carbs than most ultra runners. What are your thoughts on an approach like that? Yeah. Similar to what I would, it's similar to how I would answer, but then again, uh-huh. you know, you look at, I, I know of him too, but I can't remember his name. I just know him by the low carb runner. I think it's fascinating that you can do that. I, I think that the high majority of people would likely not be successful with that approach. There's mm-hmm. always going to be unicorns and outliner, outliers out there, right? So clearly whatever he's doing, I don't want to be like offensive to anyone. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, yeah. I know this is kind like, of like a controversial topic here. Let us yeah, have like, it. Let us so, have like, it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, I definitely want to come into nutrition with an open mind and, and that kind of thing. It's just not, it's not what I personally choose to do. And it's not what I encourage my clients to do or people who are open to my approach of things as well. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really curious about in all of these, uh, ultra runners that I've seen who are practicing this low carb approach, I have never once seen a female follow that approach. I was wondering if you know why. Oh, that's a great observation. I don't know. Tell me more. Like, tell me what, like, what specifically are you curious about that you I'm just wondering if, if hormones play like, like what role do carbs play in hormones in, in female athletes? I, I guess is my question. Cause I I've noticed that typically males do better on a low carb slash keto approach where, where females don't do as well. And I, I just am curious about that. I don't know that I can answer specifically to your question about mm-hmm. low carb. I don't, I don't think I, have enough information on the top of my brain or at my fingertips right now to give you a great answer there. But for like intermittent fasting, if we wanted to go that direction, intermittent fasting had, there has been a like, so, and that can also be translated to fasted running, right. Which is also a concept that's kind of highly revered in the, in the fat adaption world, right? The, the mm-hmm. high fat, low carb approach. So there is research that does support specifically for females that entering into a long run fasted increases your cortisol levels, which cortisol is our stress hormone, and that can have negative effects. To my understanding of this is that the research isn't necessarily supportive of that for men. So they found that in women, but it's not necessarily supportive of that for men. So yeah, I think things like that, I personally try not to get hung up on things like that. Like I just like the approaches food is food is better to eat than not (laughs) and that it's going to make you feel better. And, and that carbohydrates, we have so much research supporting the fact that a high carbohydrate diet for endurance athletes really is the approach that's best for us, that it's, that's just the approach that I go with. So it's like, okay, food is fuel, food is good for us and we need to eat it. I like it. I like to be told to eat food. I'm all about that. I love my potatoes. So (laughs) anyways, so we've been talking about fueling while we run. So how does like our fueling post run or just, you know, like Like our everyday fueling, our everyday, like our everyday diets, how does that affect us as we run ultras? In a training cycle or outside of a training cycle? Like, are we training for an Let's go in a train. Let's go in a training cycle. Okay. Yeah. 
So I like to encourage people to consume a high carbohydrate diet, like we've mentioned. So about 60% of the foods that they eat coming from carbohydrates and carbohydrates. And that's a day that like a day that you're running and a day that you're not running. Right. So, and, and the volume of food just might change based off of your recovery day or whether you're run, it's a long run day. How much you eat is, is totally up to you and your body. Like you are, you have full permission to eat food. You get to decide. I encourage people to learn their hunger cues when they're full, when they're, when they're, when they're hungry and to honor them. And it's totally appropriate to honor your hunger cues. And so, yeah, as a general, we, as a general guideline, right? So 60% of the food that you eat comes from carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are in a lot of foods there. It's in milk, it's in yogurt, it's in fruits, it's in car- like breads, pastas, rice, quinoa, couscous, snacks, like crackers, granola bars, beans have carbohydrates. So winter squash, uh, acorn squash, potatoes, corn, peas. There's so many carbohydrates out there that you can consume. And some of them are double up as protein foods, like Greek yogurt, for example, would be one, or black beans would be another good example that are lentils, are carbs and protein. So, so consuming a lot of carbohydrates. So when, to break that down, when you look at your meal, like you want at least half of it to be coming from some kind of carbohydrate. And then about a third to, or sorry, 25% to, yeah, a third about to be coming from protein. And then the rest we want to fill in with fruits and vegetables, whatever percentage is left there. And, and then fat is always going to find, I would say fat's going to find a way into your, your meal, no matter what. So, and I like to try and boil things down to be fairly easy and not overwhelming for people. So that's, sustainable and realistic, right? So um, aiming for those carbohydrates, making sure you get protein, that together, and then just trusting that fat's going to fall in there and fill that gap. Well, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfectly. Yeah. I I spent a little bit of time tracking macros. I haven't really dived into it, but I did a program. I did it for four weeks and yeah, it's very easy to get fat. Very easy. Yeah. (laughs) It falls in there. Yeah. Yeah. You never have to try to get fat, but it it was always the protein. It's always the protein that's hard to get in. Yeah. And proteins for all protein for ultra runners is extremely important as well. We need that protein for muscle, uh, recovery and rebuilding and replenishing our muscles. So it's, yeah, that's why I say, okay, let's like try and focus on carbs and protein at each snack and at every every meal that you eat. It'll make you feel full for longer times as well. That's fantastic. So that's really surprising. 60% carbs. That's a lot. And, and you also mentioned, so that's on days you run and days you don't run. So I, something that I personally, this is just kind of, cause it makes sense in my head, you know, no one told me to do this, but when I, I don't run, I just don't eat as much that day, or, or maybe I, I skip breakfast or my meals aren't as big. And when I do run, I'm like, I had a run today. I, I'm going to eat way more food. Would you say to, to just eat the same amount, no matter if you ran or didn't run that day? I say that you get to make that decision between it's between you and your body. Your nice. body is a great indicator if you let it like diet culture and society tells us it's not okay to listen to our body, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're supposed to look at portion sizes. We're supposed to eat at certain times of the day. And these are all rules that come from society, not, not our body. And so our body is super smart. And if we can learn to listen to our hunger cues when we are full and when we are hungry, then those are going to be extreme. They're the perfect indicators as to how much if you're getting enough food or not. So that, that is, I never tell anybody how much they should or shouldn't eat. I, my answer is always, that's up to you and your body. You get to decide how much food is appropriate for you. I like that. So, so you encourage intuitive eating. So just getting in tune with your body and is that right? Would you, would you call it intuitive eating? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm not an intuitive eating. I'm not a certified intuitive eating counselor, but I've done over half of the training to become one. I don't know that it will, like, I don't know that I'll ever get certified in it, but yes, it is an approach I, I definitely appreciate and encourage because it is such a sustainable way of eating. And it's just like so loving towards our body, right? Like, and I think that's so important. So yes, intuitive eating approach. But the funny thing is, is that running ultras is not intuitive. <laughs> so that's why, <laughs> Yeah. right? So it's this, funny, it's this funny mixture of like, okay, if we're going to go for a 12 hour run, like there, there does need to be some structure and planning here. And, yeah. and we do have to, this is an area of our life that we do have to plan for and train our stomach and our body to know how to eat while we're running. And then on the off days is when we can say, okay, this is where my, I'm going to let my hunger cues really dictate how, how much I need to fuel my body for. So it's this funny balance of, yeah, intuitive eating day to day, and then having more of a plan when you're running. So, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So how do you know when it's a hunger cue versus, I guess this is kind of diving into like the intuitive thing. We won't get too deep into this, but I'm just curious when, when learning to listen to your hunger cues, how do you know if it's a hunger cue versus emotional hunger or boredom hunger, or, or maybe you're eating in a different way that you've never eaten before. And your body's just freaking out. Like how, how do you know how do you practice listening to your hunger cues? How do you know when it's a real hunger cue and when it's not? That's such a good question, Melody. And there are, there are resources out there that I would encourage people to seek out if this is something they're interested in. There's an intuitive eating book that is a little bit textbooky, but it's a great book. It's by Evelyn and Elise and I, their last names are slipping my mind, but it's a great book too to read or listen to. And then there's a workbook that goes with it. And you can, you can either read and do the workbook, or you can just do the workbook independently and just do that. There are exercises in the workbook that are specifically talking about what you're asking about, because that is part of intuitive eating is learning how to cope with our emotions. Our emotions are tied to what we eat, right? And how, yes. how so much so, right? And food is so personal to a lot of people. So, so yes, that I would encourage if you're looking for more structure and guidance in that area, that is a resource that I would encourage looking into. Perfect. Thank you. So again, Jacob, stop me anytime. I like the I'll questions are just it. coming. So <laughs> diving back into training, uh, training your body, how to eat when you run. One of the hardest parts for us on our hundred miler was eating through the night. That was so hard. And, and I'm guessing like what you said before, how your stomach kind of goes to sleep. I think our bodies, they're just not used to eating at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. Right. So not intuitive. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you practice that? Would, would you recommend like going like running through the night and eating throughout the night, like throughout your training, just to practice doing that? Or how do you train for that? 100%. I always encourage clients, especially if they are doing a hundred miler, because you're almost, you're guaranteed to be running through the night, unless you are, you know, somebody Jim Walmsy or something, right? Like running a really flat 100 course. So Yes, you need to, you definitely need to at least do one practice long run in the nighttime and start at, you know, sunset and, or start like at midnight and run through that. Cause I oftentimes hear from a lot of clients that, you know, midnight to 5am kind of window is really difficult and it makes sense, right? Our body is like, what the F are we doing up? Like this, yeah. I need to be sleeping. Yeah. So yeah. So it is, I think experience and practice once again is what's going to help you with those hours. Like I mentioned before, I haven't run a 100 mile race, but I have paced my husband in the middle of night in the middle of the night multiple times. So, so I can relate to that feeling of like, 
nausea and just like, and that might not necessarily be coming from nutrition. That might be coming from the fact that you're running in the middle of the night and your body's tired and that you've probably gone 70 plus miles at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there, I would highly encourage practice. And then caffeine can be really, really helpful in the middle of the night, but that is also something that needs to be practiced with as well, because if you don't practice with it, it can cause GI upset. I know on my 50 mile run, I ran, I was at like mile 35, I think. And I was in the need, in need of a little like boost of energy. And obviously it was during the day. It wasn't at night. And I, I didn't train a whole lot with caffeine. It was a mistake that I made with my 50 mile run. I ate a picky bar that had some caffeine in it. And it was like, I kid you not like two steps later, I had to like stop. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to pull off and go like the bathroom. Oh no. Yeah. If you don't train with it, then your body might not know like what to do with it. And I'm I was very sensitive to caffeine at that time. Not so much anymore. That was pre-kids, now post-kids. So caffeine's great. But but yeah, caffeine can help increase your energy. It can help increase your awareness, which is also really important at nighttime running, right? Like you're more likely to fall and trip on stuff because you're tired your visibility is poor, more poor, right? You're using a headlamp. So, and your mental clarity is like, you could be hallucinating. So some caffeine might be helpful (laughs) in the middle of the night as well. So speaking of caffeine, does caffeine dehydrate? Isn't it a diuretic? Yeah, it is. So that is, that is a reason to practice with it. So your body can understand. So that is a negative part to using caffeine is that it can cause, it can cause diarrhea. It can cause you to be more dehydrated, but, but there are some definitely positive things to it. It's, it's a delicate balance. Getting your body to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yes. Great question. Uh, great point there. If consuming can be negative for you. So there is, there is like an equation that you can figure out for your body weight, how much is kind of like to cap off in a 24 hour period of time. Okay. I believe it's your body weight. Don't quote me on this, but I believe it's your body weight in kilograms. So if you know your body weight in pounds, you divide that by 2.2 and that gives your body weight in kilograms. And then you multiply that by nine, I believe. And that gives you how many milligrams, I believe, is what caffeine is measured in the unit. And that gives you like your cap of caffeine that you would want to have in a 24 hour period of time. We will return right back to our show after a word from our sponsor. For the ultimate in backcountry comfort, check out the high quality gear of Teton Hammock Company. Whether you're going for an overnight trip or a week-long adventure, the ultra-light outdoor equipment from the Teton Hammock Company will keep you warm, dry, and sleeping like a baby. Their products are made of top-quality materials that outperforms all others. Check them out at tetonhammocks.com. With an S, that is tetonhammocks.com. Hang with the best, Teton Hammock Company. Now back to the episode. Okay. I'll, I'll look that that up just to get it for sure. And and put that in the uh, show notes. So Jacob had a really interesting experience a couple of summers ago. He was just pounding Dr. Pepper. I, I say all these things, like we eat terribly. (laughs) We really have gotten better. We really are good. But Jacob was just pounding Dr. Pepper on, on a self-supported 50 miler that we did. And it was like 97 degrees. It It was was really exposed. And Jacob was stopping to pee like every 10 minutes. Like he just was peeing and, and he was drinking a ton of water, but it just, none of it was staying in him. And we ended up not finishing that run. We, we had to stop at mile 47 because Jacob had severe heat dehydration. We, our family came and pulled us heat off the exhaustion. trail. Yeah. He, yeah. Heat exhaustion. Anyways, Jacob was so, so sick. We, we couldn't even finish. And we were, we were doing like 45 minute miles at the end. Like, <sighs> and, bad. and, and we, we were like, is it because of the caffeine? Is it because Jacob was pounding Dr. Pepper? And that that's what we, we always assumed is why, why that happened. Oh, it definitely could have contributed to it. Sounds like it was really hot. What about your sodium intake? 
I mean, I was taking some salt pills, but probably, probably not. not I know it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be the two things that my head would go to was you're, you were likely low in salt and the caffeine wasn't helping that either. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Oh, I learned a lot from that day. Yeah. <laughs> So caffeine has scared us since that day. We're like, like oh. so now we just do a tiny bit, but we were like, it was the caffeine. So, but, but that makes sense that the maybe weren't eating enough. Yeah. Salt. I know I wasn't getting enough salt in, but so like speaking of dehydration, do you like have like a rule of thumb on like how much liquids you should be taking in or like salt pills, how often you should be taking a salt pill or that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I should say this as a little caveat as well. Like everything that I say is general nutrition recommendations. So if somebody yeah. is like needing individualized attention, they need to go speak to a, a qualified medical professional. But hydration is a really tricky one because there's so many different factors out there that are so individualized from runner to runner. And then of course, like elevation and weather, humidity, whether it's uh, dry heat or humid heat, all of that can play a role in how much to consume for, for liquid and, and electrolytes and salt, like you mentioned. So as a, as a general guideline from the research that I base my recommendations off of, 14 ounces of water every hour is like low end of what most runners are going to want to consume. So, so yeah, 14 ounces, that's about 400 milliliters. If a person prefers milliliters versus ounces. And then that, yeah. So the general guideline is 400 to 800 milliliters of, of water or fluid that can come from electrolyte as electrolyte beverage as well every hour. And then for sodium, the the more complicated recommendation is to have 500 milligrams of sodium for every liter of water you drink. I like to break that down for people as you want to be aiming for about 250 milligrams of sodium every hour. And that these are on the lower end of the recommendations. So to give you a baseline S cap, like the S with the upside down explanation point, CAP. And by the way, I'm not sponsored by any like energy food companies. I just mentioned the ones that I know off the top of my head, but one of those capsules has about, I believe 340 milligrams of, so of sodium in the electrolyte tab. So taking one of those an hour, if you're not consuming an electrolyte beverage, if you're just doing water and like a cap, then that would uh, likely be enough unless of course you are a runner that requires more than that, which there are people out there that consuming up to like a thousand milligrams on the higher end. But I've heard that that is what some runners need. So, so yeah, so sodium is really, really tricky, but that's where I encourage people to start. I'm like, whoa, we have been doing this all wrong. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and salt was one thing that my husband and I didn't really pay attention to for years. And because it was like, oh, it should be fine. Like, you know, your thirst should be able to dictate and you should be able to like, you know, tell when you need salt and all that, which there is some truth to that, but there's also some truth to like, you can get really behind on these things. So like ultra running is not intuitive. So yeah. uh, it is say that again, stay on top of, on, on top of these things. And when, when client, I've had clients that didn't pay attention to their sodium intake. And when they did start to, they noticed a huge difference in how they felt running. So, yeah. Wow. So one last question along hydration. So when you, when you're peeing a lot, I know with me, like, there's some runs where I feel like I got to pee all the time. And there's other runs where I'm good. And is, does that normally sim? you know, is that, is that telling you something or is that just me having a small bladder and not liking to <laughs> not liking the run with, with liquid in my bladder? 
This is a great question because from on day to day, right? We're told like your urine, your your pee and how often you're peeing and the color of your pee is a great indicator of how well you're hydrated, right? Which is yeah. 100% true. We want to go for like light yellow, peeing frequently throughout the day, right? Like six times, give or take some throughout the day. Or if you're like me and you're pregnant, you're peeing all the time. <laughs> when you are running an ultra marathon, you're P frequency is not a good indicator of how hydrated you are because of the hyponatremia. So if you get to a point where your body is low in sodium and when, so this hyponatremia typically happens when you're drinking more plain water fluid and you're not, you're not consuming enough sodium to keep your your salt level high in your body. So if you, if that gap grows larger, then you are actually likely going to start peeing more frequently because your body is super smart. And it's like, ah, I'm getting low on sodium here. So I'm going to actually try and empty out some fluid and try and bring that sodium level back up. So when, so if you are peeing frequently, that could be something that's occurring. Okay. Could. So could, <laughs> could it, it's something too. you should consider if that's happening. Yes. Yeah. Okay. If you're like, oh, I, I really haven't been taking a temperature on, you know, how much salt I've been consuming, yeah. then like it would be a good idea probably to at the next aid station try and take a salt tap or two. Okay. That's that's really good to know. That is good. That is really, really good. Because that that's always been something that you've struggled with. Oh yeah. And, and I'm <laughs> terrible at salt tablets. So I'm coming away from today <laughs> with a recommitment to the salt tabs or electrolyte drinks. And that yeah. Thing. And so most was- energy food is not high enough in sodium to be getting us the amount that we need. So that's, that's part of the reason why hyponatremia is so common for ultra runners is because our, our food, I see two big gaps in our, our, food that's being offered to us through energy companies and it's sodium and protein. Like we need, we need those two things when we're running for all day long or 24 hours plus. And the food that is being marketed to us oftentimes are low in those things. This is like this whole podcast is blowing my mind. I'm like, everything I I knew is a lie, but (laughs) this is good. So th- this is just a personal fear. And I'm sure a lot of people, and I'm going to guess particularly females share this fear, but the idea of, so for me, I'm like, I definitely am not eating 60% carbs. Like I, I, I actually have kind of leaned towards the like lower carb approach because that I'm, I don't know. That's just what I've, I've heard is the right thing to do. So that's kind of what I've done. So the idea of eating more carbs is really scary. So how do you know if you're eating too much, like how, and maybe that comes back to the intuitive eating, but what are your thoughts? What would you tell a client who said they're scared to eat more carbs? Yeah. Great question. I would ask them what is causing them to feel scared. Mm. So if you don't mind me asking, if you don't mind being vulnerable, what is causing you to be scared about increasing your carbs? For sure. Well, I mean, my, my biggest fear is gaining weight. I don't want to gain weight. Totally. Yeah. And that is a really common fear. And I would encourage people to identify where that fear of gaining weight is coming from, right? Like, so (laughs) I'm going to go out on a ledge here, but this is most of the time what is the case, right? Like (laughs) we have these societal pressures of how our body should be looking, especially if we're runners. And I I definitely think there's a problem for for women, but our men are not excluded from this either. And carbs have been demonized. They like in our society as being the devil and not, you know, that carbs are gonna make you fat, right? We hear that, which is a lie. Carbs don't make you fat. Carbs give you energy. (laughs) And so, and especially for endurance athletes, we're ultra runners, then those car, I would 
encourage people to look at the carbohydrates in a different way. And instead of looking at those carbs in a fearful manner, um, looking at them as a way to like, this is going to make me a better runner. I am going to have less injuries. If I consume more carbohydrates, I'm going to be a faster runner. If I consume more carbohydrates, I'm going to feel freaking good if I eat more carbohydrates. So it takes a lot of time and practice and mental energy to make those changes because these messages are so ingrained in our culture. So, so yeah, I like really appreciate that question and thank you for being vulnerable with me. Yeah. No, thank, okay. thank you. Thank you very much for the answer. That does make sense. So, so long story short, just changing your mindset and realizing carbs are not the devil. Carbs give you energy. Carbs are good for you, especially, especially as an endurance runner. Absolutely. Yeah. The kind of mantra I, I like to talk to my clients about just like, I'm all about boiling things down to be easy. So it's sustainable and realistic for people. Right. So carbs, yeah. carbs give you energy. Protein helps your muscles and your strength. And fat helps your hormones. So if you're having like a hard time, you know, like feeling like foods, like some foods are, are good for you. Other foods are bad for you. That's the approach that I like to encourage people to view foods, uh, food in. So carbs, carbs give me energy. Protein is good for my muscles. It makes me stronger and fat helps my, my hormones function the best. I love that. That's fantastic. This has been so incredibly helpful. I wish we had all day to pick your brain because we would, if we could. <laughs> so Julie, before we let you go, we got a question that we ask every single, every single person who comes on the podcast. So we just want to know if someone say you got a friend who they come up to you and they're like, Julie, I just signed up for my first 50 miler and, it, and it's my first ultra that I'm ever going to do. And they said, they ask you, so what advice, if you had to tell me one thing, as I start this training process and go into this, what would you tell me? What advice would you give me? I would say, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) And I would encourage them to prioritize enjoyment in the process. I love that. Keep it fun. That because what's yeah, it's not fun, right? Yeah, that's why we do these things. Is we right, like at least that's the common thread that I found in all of the ultra runners that I've ever met that are like passionate about it. Is we love long days in the mountains, so oh, yeah, yeah, prioritize having fun. Prioritize having fun. I love it. So, if people want to find you, if they're interested in a coach or they want to ask you more questions, where can they find you? Yes. So the main place that you can find me is Instagram. Um, my handle is ultra.runner.nutrition and put out a ton of free content on Instagram. And if they're looking for actually working with me, I have a small group program so they can apply to be in the small group program. I have a link in my bio and they fill out like a five uh, question questionnaire that takes three minutes to fill out. And then they'll schedule a 20 minute phone call with myself to see if the program will be beneficial to them and if they're a good fit. So yeah, Instagram is where you can find me. If you don't have Instagram or access to it, they can email me. My email is not related to my, I need to, I'm like I said, I'm a new business, right? So my email is <laughs> connect fitness and nutrition at gmail.com. So yeah, connect fitness and nutrition at gmail.com. I'll change that eventually. But if they don't have Instagram, then they can always reach out to me on email, but Instagram is ideal. Perfect. We'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes so people can go and click and find you easy. And many of my clients are beginner, you know, new to ultra running. So yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you so much again for spending time on your vacation. Everyone, Julie's in Mexico right now. So thank you for taking time <laughs> out of your yeah, trip to, to come teach us and share yes. your knowledge. So I know it, it was I've a come, treat. Yeah, I've come away. I, I got a few things that I definitely need to <laughs> need to work on. I've learned yeah. a lot from this conversation, Julie, and I'm sure that you help all your clients 
10 times more than just with this. So thank you again. We, we really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Yes, would love that. Thank you so much, Jacob and Melody. I um, really appreciate being asked to come on your podcast. You guys do a great job. So once again, a big thank you to Julie Schaub. Learned a lot. I hope you guys had some great takeaways and some things that maybe you can improve on. Um, I know for me, like I said earlier in the podcast, I am terrible at getting my salt and sodium intake. I've got to start. I've, I normally run with a bladder um, just with a hose coming at it. So I've decided I'm going to start running with the bladder and the water bottle. And then that water bottle, I'm going to keep electrolytes. So hopefully that will help solve a lot of my nutrition issues. I hope you found something that helps solve yours. Remember, guys, we are creating a community for beginning ultra runners. It's called Trail to 100. So not too hard to remember. Go to our Facebook page and request to be a part of the group we'll put you right on in bring your friends with you we're creating a community so that we can help each other improve and run our first ultras and if we've run our first keep getting better as we keep moving forward um also make sure you review us on apple or spotify that just helps us out in trying to get the word out Um, to more ultra runners like yourself so we can keep bringing on some great guests and improving this podcast as we grow with you in our ultra running world. Thank you for joining us once again, and we will talk to you all next time.